Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners understand the wide variety of options they have available to them after a career in consulting. Put a different way, you can think of this show as addressing the question, what can I do with my life after countless hours spent in PowerPoint and Excel? I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change, and the goal is to help our audience understand all the options they have available to them and ideally learn from our guests, both in terms of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Leah Kasuya to the studio. Leo, I hope I pronounced your last name right, but thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting me uh, join you. So uh, what would you give me in terms of the, the score? Did, did like a like a, like a a nine and a half out of 10 on, on the name? Uh, second round, I would maybe give you a seven and a half, eight, but it'll play. It'll play. All right, cool. The uh, so so first of all, Leo, thanks so much for for coming in and and doing this show. Um, we're excited to have you on for a couple of reasons, but I uh, I won't get into that right away. Maybe just to start, I'd love it if you could just give us you know a quick overview on your background and and kind of like uh, you know feel free to wander a little bit. Sure. So I guess uh, just to kick it off, name is Leo Christopher Cassia was born in Kyoto, Japan, grew up in Japan until I was 10. And I moved to Atlanta because of my dad's work. Um, and I give you that context because I guess depending on where you met me, whether it's Japan or internationally, you know me as Leo. If you met me in the US, you probably know me as Chris. And if you're in LA, you probably know me as a combination of one or two. So if you're a listener out there wondering why I'm saying who I am, uh, I figure I just get that clarity out there. But I guess transitioning from a perspective professional perspective, uh, graduated from the University of Georgia with an international business marketing major, always thought I was going to go into sales after my um, sales internship. But in the last inning of kind of senior recruiting, learned about this thing called consulting. And everybody kept telling me that you learn a lot, you travel a lot, work with a lot of smart people, which obviously that's something that uh, all sounded attractive and you don't work that many Fridays. Well, I debunked the last one really, really quick. Um, and, you know, somehow finagled my way into a consulting opportunity at KPMG within their strategy practice in Atlanta. So I was there for about three and a half years, really enjoyed it and can truly say it was probably the best uh, foundation and launch pad for my career. But um, after about a year and a half at the firm focusing on developing um, both business and operating model strategies and due diligence, I decided um, I don't want to grow up to be my boss. So I started looking around for different opportunities and uh, landed on taking a year to travel for a year. So for the next year and a half, started raising money, saving money and um, you know trying to figure out what this trip is going to be all about and ended up convincing three of my friends that quit their jobs with me. So I uh, started my own digital media company, Unique Impressions Group, which we did for about six months of the, the world travels. Ended up traveling for a year and two months. And just to round it out, essentially started back into the work world by doing a gig in Barcelona for a few months and just had this convicting dream that I had to be in Los Angeles. So started looking around Silicon Beach, all the technology companies, and ended up connecting to the CEO's son of King's Hawaiian. And he told me, hey, you should look at my family business and uh, ended up joining the company about a month after that interaction within the office of CEO, really focused on kind of long-term 
projects. And uh, we created Irresistible Foods Group, which is a parent company to Kings Hawaiian and a few others, which I can talk about last September. And I am a director of strategy and new ventures there now. So a little bit more context than probably uh, needed, but hopefully that gives you ammunition to uh, really go wherever you want to go, Ken. No, that's awesome. And um, I think the thing that is super cool about your background too is you kind of figured out a way to do like the quote unquote remote year uh on your own by starting your own business uh which i think is really cool and kind of like got to travel the world uh in in doing so so i I definitely want to dive into that but let's start with irresistible foods and king's hawaiian um i guess i i know you mentioned it's kind of a conglomerate of brands but tell us about irresistible foods and kind of what it is yeah so irresistible foods group is essentially the parent company to king's Hawaiian, Gorilla's Pickles, Shaka Tea. And what what we're really trying to do is just building this authentic food and beverage brand of companies that um, essentially have irresistible products with a raving fan base, right? Um, And then two companies with shared values. So these values can be expressed differently, obviously, based on the company's personalities, but the ethos of those values are the same. And then lastly, sold in the perimeter. So products in not the center aisle grocery stores in the perimeter, but also inclusive of the frozen section and direct to consumer. I love the name too, because it kind of it really speaks to what it is. And, and, and like, I mean, I think the one thing that's kind of like really unique to you guys is just in terms of like the quality, right? So like the second that you mentioned Grillo's or King's Hawaiian, I can't help but get excited i mean i i literally like only try to eat my burgers on on king's hawaiian's but like like it's like a weird thing for me personally um and so i think that's 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 kind of like really unique and really cool has that always kind of like been like i guess part of your culture or like part of like work every day for you be curious to hear more um i guess just to dig into that question a little bit more what do you mean by, uh, is that part of your culture, the irresistibility? Well, I guess like, sorry, maybe that was a bad question. I guess when you guys formed the company, the holding company, how did you come up with the name? Oh, no worries. So I think uh, there's someone on the team, I forget who uh, came up with it, but essentially it was, you know, we're between like Aloha brands or irresistible brands or something along those lines. And ultimately, you know, King's Hawaiian's mission um, includes the word um, irresistible. And irresistible is just kind of those descriptors of what King's Hawaiian is. And it, as we acquired Gorillas, it really started being like, oh man, we are, we're building this kind of um, environment and family of food and beverage brands that are truly irresistible. And that's kind of where the origination of the name came. But again, really leaning on to not just the products, but we always say we're irresistible in products, um, our values, but the values is really truly the core to our irresistibility because, um, you know, values drive behaviors and behaviors create cultures. Um, so that's kind of like how these irresistible cultures happen at King's Hawaiian Aloha, maybe at Gorillo's, it's, you know, uh, vibey kind of pickle people, but each company is unique in its personality. Um, and those values are also expressed differently, but the ethos of the values are the same. Um, and then the kind of irresistibility in our roots. So the 
the start of the companies, all of them are kind of family owned or family founded businesses and, you know, growing above from there. And then uh, Irresistible Ohana, which is the word in um, Hawaii for family. So, you know, not just our employee base, but our customers, our vendors, our partners, et cetera. We're all family and we're here to um, really help each other become the best version we can be. So um, that irresistibility is kind of the, um, you know, the core to it all. Okay, cool. No, I think that better answers the question that I was that I was trying to get out. And Leah, what what exactly do you do for the company? I know I know it's kind of changed and evolved over time, but curious to kind of hear more. Sure. So I'm going to answer this. Um, and I guess two kind of frames. Frame number one is I started at Kings Hawaii and then the office of CEO. So again, kind of that uh, internal consulting group. Um, and I was really charged to really get a quick grip on the business the first two months. So I bounced around with our president and chief strategy officer at the time, John Linehan, who is now the president of Irresistible Foods Group. And uh, after those two months, you know, he kind of asked the question of, hey, you've been a consultant. So what are five things you identified that you think you can create value on? Um, so I wrote those five things down, you know, intentionally putting a few that I really wanted to work on. Um, and then he looked at the list and said, you know what? you're going to lead the digital transformation for the company, which was not on the five on the list. So immediately I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a huge challenge. Google what a digital transformation is. And uh, um, essentially focused on that the first year and a half. How do we use technology? How do we use data to be the best company we can be? And really bringing the company together. Obviously, each function was kind of on their own journeys, but bringing the whole company together to a, a, a strategy, a plan, which led to creating the data center of excellence team, which is a um, cross-functional hybrid team, and really kind of starting to address these uh, data challenges and issues that we have across the business to create value cross-functionally, which led to the IT team kind of recharter to creating them to what they are today, the data and technology services team, which led to leading the CIO search. So um, kind of a variety of different things. And the last kind of year and a half and what I do today is really two-pronged. One is what I would call deals. So uh, establishing establishing relationships with target investment or acquisition companies, performing the diligence if we decide, um, you know, this is a company we're interested in. If we end up um, going down the path of acquisition, doing integration planning, and then last is kind of that post post um, post close value creation. So ultimately leading the company in a strategic planning session, um, creating that kind of uh, mission, aligning on vision, creating values if they don't have values, and really coming up the strategic imperatives, those focus areas to help the business grow for the next 10, 15, 50 years. Okay. So I get the, I get the, you know, connection between deals, integration planning, post-close integration, and kind of like value creation planning, like, but talk to me a little bit about kind of like digital transformation for a consumer for a, a bunch of consumer brands like how, I, I that that sounds like if i'm a listener i'm going well wait they're not a tech company like t- tell me a little bit more about what that means totally and i just realized i never finished part two of my uh, job today which is okay oh that was just part one <laughs> well the, basically it's just what i used to do at king's hawaiian it's just peppered into the different other upcoats right what are strategic problems? Interesting choice of verb, by the way. What was peppered? That was good. I like uh, that. Oh, yeah. 
Um, but going back to the digital transformation, so, you know, ultimately I was not a IT or technology consultant and that's not my necessary strength. So we approached it very pragmatically, right? So the first one was just to say, look, any transformation starts from the top. So how do we get our um, executive team to really understand what it means to digitally transform? Um, a lot of people probably look at it as a project, but ultimately it's a living and breathing activity where you're constantly digitally transforming, right? Just looking at everybody's everyday life. It was a rotary phone to then a plugged in wire phone to then a wireless phone, then to a cell phone, then to a smartphone. So you're constantly, um, I guess, evolving. Um, and we, we wanted to kind of explain this is not just a destination, it's a process for our executive team members. Then we did a current state to say, you know, what data we're using or what technology stacks do we have and what is kind of the future state look like for us to really achieve where we want to achieve. Um, and then what we did was just bring everybody together and kind of get the education piece as well as what's truly foundationally um, feasible for us to leverage the data that we have. So it wasn't, I would say our process to date has been really more focused around the data piece, um, getting everybody on the same page through governance, catalogs, et cetera, um, so that we have a strong foundation to really build the digital platforms on top of it, but not getting uh, too, too heavy and focused on that without creating value along the way. Awesome. And I'm guessing for you, for y'all, data means, you know, data and insights from like in-store purchases, uh, stuff from kind of like direct to consumer on like your own like kind of web presence. Um, is, is, is that right? Or is there anything else that that is included in that? Yeah, I mean, you have obviously a variety of different um, data sources, depending on the function. Obviously, on the operations side, you have everything from what the machines are doing to create the product to where the products are moving with logistics from, um, you know, from the plant to a distribution center or a plant to a third party um, warehouse to a customer, etc. ingredients and kind of tracking of all of our inputs and then obviously like you brought up probably the more um, obvious data sources and that is the third party Uh, but the problem is you know we have to pay for a lot of that information since um, it's being uh, scanned Um, but you you know you you use your uh, third party vendors for that information in terms of internal uh, that's kind of where the gold mine is where you can really start picking in and uh, maybe asking more questions so our e-com is really focused on um, testing new products. So there's there's an endless array of ways to, to get information. I think it's more asking the right questions to figure out what um, insights we want to, to tap into that because analysis paralysis is pretty easy to do in any field. But uh, I think particularly in the CPG industry, you got to be able to um, you know be smart about how to tackle the information in front of you. I'm glad you walked through that because there, to me, like it's something that you know is not so obvious in terms of like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna lead a digital transformation project, and it's like, okay, well, wh- what what does that mean for like a CPG, right? And it's like, th- there's actually a ton of different kind of data data sources and points of entry, but it's really just to kind of like like you said, like kind of like asking the right questions um, to to make it work. Um, okay. Speaking of kind of like the work that you're doing there, Leo, um, you joined about, if I'm not mistaken, kind of like a year, year and a half before the pandemic hit. What was like, 
tell us about like kind of the the impact that the pandemic had on your business. Yeah, I mean, I would say overall we're extremely fortunate, all things considered, um, from a CPG lens. Um, obviously, like everybody else at the beginning, there was a lot of challenge, a lot of unknowns. I think um, you know my bosses had some uh, tough decisions to make. Right at, at the beginning, we didn't know what this thing was, and you know how easy it is to get it. So you're putting a lot of these plant workers that are going in to make the products every day. Which you know, shout out to all the plant workers that you know continue to feed America and um, making us. Um, as successful as we were over the last few years. Um, so, you know, that decision of, hey, do we send workers in to potentially get COVID or do we continue to produce bread to be able to feed America? But um, obviously the 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 decisions, the right decisions were made by our leadership team. And um, ultimately, I think we put in the right safety precaution or, or protocols and just, um, you know, processes in place and continue to produce. And with a lot of people eating from home, we benefited a lot from just new consumers inviting us into their home, um, obviously from a King's Hawaiian lens, eventually from a, a gorilla's perspective. And um, just you're continuing to see just different um, challenges arise over the last few years which uh, certainly keeps things interesting. But um, I think it's really helped everybody just be nimble, take advantage of opportunities, even if it seems like crises at times, and uh, really helping us unlearn some of the old ways of doing things and uh, relearning new ways to approaching um, problems as they arise. I guess, you know, in terms of kind of working for a CPG in general, if I'm a consultant right now and I'm thinking, oh, I'd, I'd like to get into CPG as a, as, a, as a focus area or maybe make a leap to that, I guess, could you talk a little bit about kind of like what you see as like the pros and cons or maybe just the surprises of working uh, with a CPG company? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I would say um, overall, when you th- when I think about just the pros of CPG, it's it's a lot of fun in the sense that you you're involved in a lot of everyday type of things for people, right? Like uh, whether if it's product or food or beverage, you you're eating and using something every single day. So it's fun in the sense that you're really immersed in everyday life. You go through the grocery store um, and you see kind of the things that you do impacted right in front of you. So those are the cool things. The bad news is you can never go to a store and just, you know, do your typical shopping. You end up kind of like wasting a lot of time, not wasting, but you just find yourself exploring things, uh, which is funny. But honestly, other than that, I don't necessarily have too many qualms. You know, I think uh, just being someone that's a generalist in, in his way of approaching things, I get uh, question marks at time like, hey, should I be doing CPG forever? But uh, it is a lot of fun. So I have no intention to leave for now. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So before you, you obviously got in, involved with uh, Irresistible Foods, you did something which was pretty incredible. And that is you somehow figured out a way to, to travel the world and also start a business uh, in doing so. Um, Unique Impressions Group. What what was it? How did you think of it? What's the story there? Yeah, so I guess uh, um, I'll back up in that, you know, in this process of trying to figure out what to do, one of the persons I talked to pretty much every day was one of my best friends on earth. He was living in New York at the time doing accounting at EY. And uh, we would talk pretty much every day after work and we'd be ideating like, hey, do we start our own thing or do we go work at a startup? And after kind of reading a variety of books, talking to mentors and um, 
things like that. Uh, and Shoe Dog, which is the uh, biography of uh, Phil Knight, autobiography of Phil, Phil Knight. Uh, great book, but um, it really kind of helped me trigger the, you know what? I can quit my job to travel the world. That's what he did when he was 24 years old. I read this when I was 25, and I think I departed for the travels when I was 26. Um, so that's kind of like the the lead up to this travel. And once I decided I was going to travel is just ideating and picking the brains of people that done it before kind of getting a financial metric of, Hey, this is how much money I need. So making the adjustments in my life to be able to, um, pay for a trip around the world without any kind of, um, holdbacks monetarily. I didn't want money to be the reason why I wouldn't be able to live kind of this year of my dream. And then, um, crazy enough, people started to want to join. So ended up convincing three other friends. And uh, once the third one joined, it's like, well, I guess there's something more than just traveling here. We should start this, uh, start this company. So that's the premises, a unique impressions group. And it, it was a digital media company. And the fact that we're trying to play this middle ground, you have influencers and you have agencies, right? We were trying to leverage the social platforms to say, Hey, we're, we're an influencer for companies we're not trying to promote our own brand per se so that was kind of the that middle piece that we're trying to do is building a community of followers for other brands is a curated source for trusted travel content and really monopolizing our geographic footprint we started in hawaii and made our way west basically going up to asia southeast asia australia new zealand india sri lanka um middle east and then the University of Georgia went to the national championship. So instead of going to Africa, we went back to Atlanta for the game, then went to South America and to Europe. Um, and we were trying to just leverage our footprint and essentially, tr you know, exchange value for value in exchange for kind of maybe a content rehaul or a marketing remix. Um, would you let us stay at your Airbnb for free for three nights and things like that? And that was um, kind of the business model uh, on how we tried to create this thing. So, t okay, give an example or tell like a story from maybe one of your travels where you did this. Because I think most people get a little bit hung up on like, oh, you know, this is the way a traditional business works and this is how I have to do it. I I'm just curious how you brokered these kind of unique deals. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of grit, right? It was straight up trying to convince people of like why you should do this um, because we were able to create a uh, Instagram community of call it like 13 to 15 thousand followers, which isn't that big. Um, but you know, big enough to say, Hey, there's something here. And people that were pretty highly engaged on our, uh, our, you know, page. So, um, it was just emailing them, kind of giving the statistics behind it, what they could kind of expect out of, um, what they would get from us, whether it's the drone content or kind of the, you know, um, normal photography content, video content. And that's, that's just the approach. It was a lot of cold emails, a lot of, uh, trying to convince on Airbnb. And every time you do an at sign on Airbnb, they kind of like mark you off. So, uh, it was a lot of hustle and bustle and, you know, transparently it didn't, uh, go as far as I think any of us hope we did it for about six months. And the primary reason is one, I think, um, ultimately it was myself, uh, an accountant from EY, a private equity dude and, uh, entertainment and an investment banker in New York. So I was the only quote creative in that. Um, and between all of us, not necessarily being a hundred percent passionate about this. Um, and then, um, you know, we quit our jobs ultimately to um, explore the world. And once you start 
putting mixing passion with dreams or excuse me passions with uh work it's kind of interesting some of the joy i used to to enjoy creating content came out of it um so that was another lesson is like some some things aren't just made to be uh turned into work and um yeah, we, we, we stopped that for six months, but I will say it was the best um, kind of mini MBA type of project I could have since I didn't go to MBA school of really kind of starting a business from scratch, understanding what goes into it, the, the hustle and bustle you need. And um, there are some benefits later down the road that I learned about as well. So one of the things that I've enjoyed kind of getting to know you, uh, albeit brief, is it's very clear. So you mentioned grit. I, I, I kind of like look at it as like you just pull up and shoot. Um, could you tell us a, like, could you tell us maybe the story that maybe intersects travel and 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 personal life that you shared with me about kind of like your, your girlfriend? I just, I just think that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, essentially, uh, it was like a week or 10 days before I was moving to Barcelona to start my gig in Barcelona, which was with a study abroad program called Lead Abroad. And they were um, having a program in Barcelona where it's offered as an ex- experienceship or internship. So 27 students came to kind of work with different companies. And I served as a mentor to the students and a consultant to the businesses that they were engaging with. Um, but anyhow, I, at the time, the, the three guys I was traveling with dropped off. They were kind of getting back into their normal life um, or getting, you know, immersed back into their, their careers. And I had two new buddies traveling with me, both going in the uh, medical the medical field or were in the medical school. So um, we were in Greece and Santorini specifically. We're walking around and, you know, all I saw was a bunch of beautiful couples and I was with two dudes and, you know, yeah, it was super romantic, which, hey, all good. But, you know, I was like, oh, man, we got to find some girls, boys. I can't get like so depressed looking at all these like beautiful couples. So we we were uh, walking into a bar that evening and I, I see a group of four women in the uh, back of the bar and we were three. So I was like, hey, someone's going to be either extra lucky or, you know, uh, not be able to, uh, someone's going to get screwed out of this situation. But essentially we go to them and the first person I can physically talk to, um, is who I know now is my girlfriend's mom. But at the time I didn't know. So, um, approached her and I was like, Hey, where are you from? And she goes, Colombia. And I was like, Oh, I love Colombia. You know, I've been to Barranquilla, which is where she said she's from. So, um, we talked for a bit, my Spanish is tapping out and essentially, you know, we find out that her daughter lives in Barcelona and I just go, which one's your daughter? She points to uh, my girlfriend and uh, she goes, I just said, Hey, introduce me. So we ended up hanging out with her um, and her, her, her mom's daughter or her mom's friend's daughter. And we ended up kicking it. And the next week took her out on the first night I lived in Barcelona and, you know, uh, dated for the, the time we did. And, the two and a half years, I actually left Barcelona to come to LA and then we didn't talk at all, ended kind of bad. But two and a half years later, I had a dream about her during quarantine that she's moving back to the US. And, you know, one thing led to another. She ended up coming back to the US last July. We did a trip and we are uh, back together. So it's, it's life is crazy. Yeah. No. And I just think that's so cool and kind of like kind of blends so much of a little bit of like kind of like, you know, again, who you are in terms of like just willingness to pull up and shoot and then also just like, you know, travel the world and, you know, seize the seize the day. Right. Um, 
But before all that, uh, you, you were a consultant. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I, I my, our listeners know I, I get off track a bit, but uh, I think that's that's what makes life fun. Um, but um, okay, so you, you were at KPMG before Unique Impressions Group. Um, talk to us a little bit. I, I guess you know how how did you find the job? How, you know what types of projects did you do? Um, curious to hear about your experience at KPMG as well. Totally. So at KPMG, um, within the strategy practice, you know, honestly, kind of similar to my role today, you kind of had to split between um, business and operating model type of strategy projects. So um, process optimization or whatever it might be, right? Um, and then you kind of had the other half, which was more deal related in nature. So a lot of due diligences, whether it be commercial or operational due diligences. So served on both sides of the coin um, and learned a tremendous amount um, and really enjoyed it, frankly, but it just, it just wasn't something I could tell um, was going to last for the long term, just because I uh, certainly was uh, putting in a fair amount of hours. And okay, so you mentioned a lot of the kind of like different types of projects. When you were at KPMG, did you have any clue or inkling that you, you, you were going to end up in CPG? You know, so it's an interesting question. I would say the majority of my time was spent in financial services as well as uh, consumer goods. So in a way, you know, a part of a big portion of my time was in that CPG space. Um, And I enjoyed it, but I wasn't like, hey, I'm definitely wanting to go into CPG one day. It was it was just one of those things that um, is intriguing. And to be fair, I'm um, I'm unfortunately a person that's hard to uh, it's hard for me to commit on one thing. So I don't really necessarily am like, hey, this is the industry that I want to spend the rest of my life. But um, but yeah, definitely did not necessarily commit a major, if you will, in an industry or the type of work. Was that part of the appeal of consulting to you from the get-go? Without a doubt. So, you know, like I mentioned to you, I thought I was going to go into sales. And I think the whole attraction was this concept that I was able to go in and really refine um, my my business acumen skills, right? I think it's, it's consulting, especially if it's your first job out of uh, undergraduate. It's a great way to establish those foundations, but also build this launch pad for all sorts of opportunities, um, not only because of the um, experience and skill sets that you build um, that can take you far in your career, but um, also gives you such a wide array of experiences and exposures that it really helps you curate um, in some way, shape or form where you want to go, right? Whether it wasn't an industry or not for me, um, it did really share the type of people I want to work with and the values and the company and kind of um, how how they approached um, their strategic planning and their strategy. Um, those are the type of things that I took away from my consulting to say, hey, that's the type of company, not necessarily um, maybe an industry or the type of work. I think that's right. I think something also that you're hitting on, which is consulting is fairly academic in some ways, right? So it's like if you compare it to college, it's like you can pick a major, you, you can go major in particle physics or something and just do that for the rest of your life, right? Or you can kind of be like, what is it, Van Wilder and, you know, do a bunch of stuff and never graduate, right? And uh, I think that's kind of the appeal, at least it was for me. And it sounds like you too. Totally, totally. It was, it was definitely an appeal. 
I guess, do you have advice for someone that's maybe like kind of like in two, three, four years of consulting, thinking about kind of making a making a move? What what would your advice be to them? Well, I'd say two things, right? Especially if you're finding yourself like, what am I doing? And you're you're in that burnt out stage where you're kind of in these negative spiraling thoughts. I think the first thing is like, look, have confidence in the fact that you've learned how to create value, right? You're not the expert on a lot of the projects you're thrown into, but you have that customer mindset, which will carry you really far. You've learned how to problem solve super well. Um, So, you know, find confidence in that. The second thing is, you know, um, you've built your career in consulting by asking the right questions. You know, the smartest person is not the one that's the loudest or um, it's really who's asking the right questions. So start asking serious questions of what it is that you want, right? And be honest with yourself and really start thinking through what it is that um, you'd be willing to take that next leap of faith. In. And then the third is, again, another skill that you learn in consulting. It's uh, networking. So start really networking, tap into your, um, your, your, community, your peer set, your mentors, whatever your network looks like, and really start figuring out um, opportunities outside of consulting um, and just go for it, right? Because ultimately, you're the only person that can uh, control your actions. And um, if you don't take the shot, I guess, to uh, your, your, your word, shoot your shot. If you don't shoot it, no one else is going to shoot it for you. So, um, you know, it, I think just do it. I think that's good advice. Um, let's talk a little bit about networking, though, because one of the things that I struggled with when I was in consulting, and, and I and I think from what I've heard is fairly similar, is it's like okay, we, we, everyone says, oh, m- make sure you network while you're in consulting, right? The, same with like business school, but my struggle was always okay. How do I how do I network at the velocity that everyone's telling me to do, but also keep it authentic and real? what tips or suggestions would you have for someone like that? Well, so two things, um, this one, I would say this doesn't really address the, uh, authentic and real, but I always heard that your net, your network is your net worth. Um, so it's, it's all around just creating a, um, you know, a network, not superficially or like manipulatively to, um, grow your net worth per se, but just making sure you're wise with who you surround yourself, right? Going back to another quote of your average of the five people you spend your time with most. So um, that that always made me kind of realize like, be smart about who you, you connect yourself with and um, um, how you connect yourself with. But the second one I think is the most important thing is like, look, networking is all about giving. Right. A lot of people think networking is I'm doing it for my career and um, it's all about me, me, me. But if you look at networking like for others and how you give to, you know, whether it's mentoring, giving back to people or um, just giving giving an ear so that someone can talk and be the listener. Um, I think that's, that's ultimately what networking is all about. So, um, you know, looking at it from the sense of how do I meet people to hopefully create value for someone else, even if it's just listening and not opening your mouth, it would be my recommendation. That's such great advice. Yeah. Cause it, I, I just think back to like my time in consulting and like people always said to do it. And I was like, I, I always felt like I was like being fake or something. It's like, what am I going to walk up to 40 people at a cocktail hour? It's like, hi, I, I'm Joe Smith. Nice to meet you. Right. And uh, I, I love that advice around kind of like giving and asking um, that, uh, th- that that's really helpful. Um, cool. Um, I guess 
the last thing, just to kind of like wrap things up, uh, Leo, you had mentioned Shoe Dog, but um, we are on an endless quest to build up our 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 library of of books. Um, any recommendations for our listeners in terms of books that have kind of been, you know, a big deal in your life? Yeah, so obviously Shoe Dog was one that kind of helped me uh, really take action on the the travels. I would say um, I'm a big biographies, autobiographies, self help kind of book guy. So um, Defining Decade is actually an interesting one for the younger audience. Uh, it's all around why your twenties are important and how to make the most of it. So I would say it's groundbreaking information, but certainly um, a good guide if you will um this one's going to be a funny one green lights it's uh matthew mcconaughey's book he calls it an approach book and it's actually fascinating and um, a lot of good info in there that i found um just really empowering and inspirational something i will recommend to all um and one that i'm reading right now i'm only you know like in chapter three but it's called four thousand weeks by oliver berkman it's this whole concept that average lifespan is uh four thousand week 80 years old and uh, how to best utilize your time everything's a trade-off helping you make decisions and i'm at a stage in life where i'm uh making some big decisions right now and um uh ceo of a company recently uh recommended it to me so i started it and it's been it's been really good wow even just hearing that there's only four thousand weeks in your life just is a little bit of a a little bit of a mind f in and of itself it really <laughs> is right it's kind of like crazy. what did i do last week wow okay cool I'll, i will definitely uh check all three of those out well cool um and i guess last thing leo if folks wanted to learn more about irresistible foods or you is there a website that you can share we'll drop it in the description as well but where should we go totally so we um are still, you know, creating things. So one of the uh, projects that I owe my boss is uh, fixing up our website. We have a landing page, so www.irresistiblefoods.com. Um, that will be revamped with more information. But until then, feel free to find me on LinkedIn um, or you can email me directly at chris at irresistiblefoods.com. And I'm happy to um, connect and, um, you know, provide anything that I could be resourceful for. Leo, this has been super fun and informative. Really appreciate you joining the the show. For those of our listeners who are listening for the first time, make sure you subscribe to either Spotify or Apple so you're notified when new episodes come up, which we publish every week. And then if you're looking for past episodes, you can check out beyondconsulting.info. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch with me personally or uh, anybody else at my firm, it's going to be eca-partners.com. Once again, Leo, this was so much fun. Thanks for joining. And and everybody else, we will talk to you next week. Thanks a lot.